patreon.com slash duckfeedtv Out! For those fireballs, Heartbeat City is taking your call suffering Duckfeedtv Somebody out there feels lonely, and we're here to help. Welcome to Heartbeat City. This is your host, Cozy Snugglefield. We're taking your calls, healing your hearts. Here in the city, I'm joined by Madeline Allfight, a sex educator and activist from Portland, Oregon. Madeline, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Cozy? Doing great. Nice and warm here. Um, so how um, how was your trip? How did you um, how did you find getting here, like getting to the studio? Yeah, you know, I actually had a heck of a time. Uh, because the sweet numbers are kind of confusing. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where you like think this is the building, but it's actually this other building and you have to go in this side door and, um, yeah, glad to be here though. We, we worked really hard to get sweet 69 and, uh, the landlord did not like it. Um, but I think it was worth it in the end. Oh, the payoff is definitely worth it. Absolutely. Go ahead and, uh, we got our first, uh, first question here. Uh, this is a letter uh, they received. I'll go ahead and read here. Dear Cozy and Guest, how do you find romantic partners outside of your office if you work a lot? Are there particular online dating sites or apps that you think seem work better than others? Finally, does dating slash finding people to date become more or less difficult as you get out of your 20s? Cheers. And this is signed, looking for a partner in a cornfield. Madeline, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I am actually a big fan of online dating. I have been for a long time, like since be- since the days when you would lie about meeting someone online. Like that's how long I've been doing online dating and and enjoying it. Um so I actually think it's a great tool and resource. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's a great way to meet people. As a busy person myself, I love that my online dating profile is out mixing and mingling while I am doing other fulfilling things. Multitasking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, finding romance and uh, saving the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you and I both use OkCupid. Um, I would really recommend that one over any of the others. I've tried Bumble. Have you tried Bumble before? I have. Uh, I have tried tried Bumble before. And it, it doesn't, to me, and this, this could be, uh, could not be universal, but to me, it did not feel appreciably different, at least as a, as a guy to, uh, to Tinder, uh, on mm. my experience. And that is specifically, uh, with how I was using it, which was to, to find dates with the eventual idea of, of 
a relationship for something more than a hookup, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that uh, in terms of hookups, it's pretty different. Uh, for those people who don't know, uh, Tinder is the primary uh, swipe-based uh, uh, dating app where you mostly just get a couple of sentences and pictures. Uh, Bumble, the difference is that uh, as a man, you go through and you choose who you like, and then you cannot message them until the woman like likes you back. It is kind of a, a lady-forward uh, version of the app, but I was didn't have an appreciably different experience with it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought that Bumble was basically like OkCupid, except I had to do more work, and I mm. wasn't in favor of that, so yeah. I stopped using it. <laughs> mm. Um, I'm I'm actively against Tinder. Uh, I don't love that they make you use like your Facebook profile and things like that. I I like having a little bit of privacy, but I mean, I'm sure uh, finding love in a cornfield. You've maybe thought about online dating. You maybe tried some of these apps. Um, I would recommend OkCupid of the best of them as the best of them. But the other thing I would recommend is doing activities. I am a very activity oriented person. Like I really love structured things like book clubs and volunteering. And as a woman, every time I'm at an activity like that, I am particularly when I'm like single or looking to date, I'm always lamenting that there are no men at these events. Um, I feel like one of the old like chestnuts of dating advice used to be like, go out and do the things that you love and you'll meet people that love doing those things too. But it seems like it's only ever other women <laughs> who are doing these <laughs> things. So if you are a heterosexual man, like going to do activities, being in meetups, um, being where your people are, like I imagine as long as they're not too like masculine focused, you're going to find women and people there, particularly if you do some of the things that lean towards more feminine interests, like volunteering or book clubs, things like that. I, like, like I said, I have always lamented that there are not more men there that I could be like meeting in addition to Mm. doing a fun thing that I love. Because apparently I'm all about multitasking. (laughs) I can never just like date. I need to have something else. Even when you're at that activity and even if there were men there, then your profile would still be doing work. So you'd be triple tasking. The, um... Yeah. The, uh, so it can be tricky to do those activities, especially if you are uh, very busy with work. That's true. Um, so I, I understand the, you know, the just, uh, you know, taking that downtime is part of, of work. So not, don't make, you know, finding a date a second job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll resent it if you do, if you do so. Uh, make it something that's easy. Like that is good advice to go out and, and be out, but make sure you're doing it. Um, I wouldn't put it, make it a load bearing activity. Don't do it just to date. Yes. Do it as a thing you want to do so you don't feel like it's wasted time if it doesn't work out. And uh, also, if you're there cruising, um, that can put out a vibe that isn't always appealing. Like, that appeals to some people, you know? But it's it, I think that there's a way that – I think that can be off-putting, mm-hmm. uh, especially if, you know, if you're not actually interested. So if you go to this thing and you're just like, I'm here to meet women um, – that can be part of a goal. It shouldn't be an entire goal. I think I think it'll it'll kind of come off as such. If, that, yeah. if that's why you're here. Yeah, that is very good nuanced advice. Like I have like even in the times when I have lamented like, oh I'm you know, it'd be nice if there was someone here that I could meet, I have never wished for someone to like come up and hit on me at a book club. Like that's yeah. not why I'm there. 
Um, and as you say that, I'm trying to think like, what are the things that signal, you know, that kind of creepy interest versus an openness, which I think is more what you should be going for if you're at these activities, right? So you're like volunteering to help children, not to pick up dates, but because you actually <laughs> care about children. Sure. Um, so yeah. ideally being interested in the thing that you're actually there to do. Um, is a key thing. And I think, as you said, like, that's helpful for not putting too much weight on the activity so that it feels yeah. like it was a waste of time. You know, I helped all these children, but I didn't meet anyone to date. Wait, uh, I think, I think you picked up on an important difference, which is open versus prowling. Mm-hmm. Um, open is a really good thing to be if you're single and you're looking to be in a relationship. And that is just kind of thinking, um, you know, maybe, maybe something will happen. Uh, here, like if I, if I meet somebody and we hit it off, maybe that's great. Uh, if not, also okay. Prowling is when you are there just for that purpose. So it really kind of boils down to that. Um, yeah. before, before we move on though, I want to touch on something earlier in the question too. Um, is that, uh, so we talked about OkCupid being good. Um, the reason why I think so, and you can, you can tell me if you disagree. The reason why I like that app, even though it is kind of classic and, and I'm sure for some that it's, it's, you know, kind of outmoded is that I feel like I, uh, I know more about people who I date on that because you're, there's, it's more text fields to fill out, mm-hmm. which is kind of artificial, uh, but it's that instead of nothing. Um, so I've gone on with dates I've done on Bumble or Tinder versus OkCupid. I have gone on more dates where I've gotten to the date and been like, why am I here yes. on Tinder or Bumble where it just, I don't know anything about this person other than that they weren't doing yoga on a mountaintop in their pictures and I think that they're they're attractive, and that's the only thing I know. So since I'm not using those, and it doesn't sound like a partner in a cornfield is doing this either. Since I'm not looking for like hookups, uh, that's discouraging and rough to me. Like I'd rather know a little bit about somebody. I don't want to get into you know 45 minutes into a date and find out somebody is uh, extremely religious or mm-hmm. uh, has extremely incompatible political views or. Um, you know, uh, really, really loves cards against humanity. Like I can't, I can't have that. And that's the nice thing about a more robust service like OkCupid is it does screen those things. So you don't get to know somebody through their text fields. You get to, uh, you can scan for kind of superficial deal breakers pretty, pretty easily, I think. Yeah, I no, I would agree a hundred percent. That's that's what I love about OkCupid, and and that's what I you know it's what drew me to online dating in the first place. You know, before we had the internet, right? You would just go walk up to someone. I guess I don't I don't even know how it would work, right? What do you do? You just mm. walk up to someone and start flirting with them. I can't even imagine. Um, mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm being semi facetious, but that is also as a somewhat introverted person uh, who can be somewhat reserved sometimes. To me, that's it sort of boggles the mind, but yeah, you would have that experience where you'd see someone and find them like visually appealing, uh, and then go up and approach them and learn about them and go through all of that screening. And what online dating allows you to do is to have some of that engagement and conversation and some of those compatibility, you know, assessments happen before you are together in person. You know, it's less of a time commitment to me in in a lot of ways. It's a more efficient way to do that compatibility assessment than meeting up with them in person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can kind of, you know, for me, I always find you can tell a lot about the things that people choose to highlight about themselves when, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in a space like that. So yeah, I'd absolutely agree. That's what I prefer about OkCupid versus Bumble or Tinder or any other kind of app or space where, 
there isn't really an emphasis on like self-awareness or mm -hmm. like self-expression. Yeah. And just to add to that, to kind of address the second part of your question around does dating get easier when you get out of your 20s? For me, I found that it absolutely a thousand percent does. So I was in a long-term monogamous relationship from 26 to 32. And when that relationship ended, I was dreading dating. Like it, it felt like a whole new dating world. Tinder wasn't even a thing when I had entered into that long-term relationship. And then by the time I came out of it at the other end at, at 31, it was like, oh no, you know, like Tinder is the thing. And this is the primary way that people meet other people nowadays. Um, but dating in my 30s has actually been really wonderful. Like I give fewer fucks. I like have the attitude that I am both too old and too young for bullshit. Um, so I just am better at setting boundaries and, um, you know, I know I have a better idea of what I want and, mm -hmm. and more confidence. That's, that's been my experience. What is, has that been your experience as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be that, but you're also going to meet people for whom that is true, mm -hmm. which is also nice. Like meeting people who have a better idea of who they are and what they want is always easier than not. And that's the big difference as you kind of cross that threshold, you know, yeah. as people get older and, and who knows. And then what, you know, maybe at some point you get to uh, dating in your forties or fifties, and then it has a whole new host of complications. But the thirties are kind of a sweet spot, I think, where people uh, have enough self-awareness um, and know what they want to, uh, to not do any kind of games. Mm -hmm. And enough optimism too, maybe, mm -hmm. I think. Like enthusiasm, excitement. For me, I know it's been the realization that like, if I don't want to date or don't feel like dating, then I shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um at that period in my life. And, and I find, like you said, more people who share those, those attitudes than I did in my twenties. So just go ahead and just to, to wrap us up uh, with that, uh, looking in a cornfield. Um, so one, you know, go ahead and make that okay. Cupid profile. Um, we both really like that, that app. Um, two, if you have time, go ahead and try to find some activities, try to get out of the house where you can, can meet people. If you can't because of work, that's all right. Again, you can be multitasking. Uh, and three, it does get a little bit easier for those reasons we addressed, uh, in our opinion. I don't think it's going to be universal. I know some people who have a really hard time with it because they consider 30 to be this kind of wall, uh, of failure that once you strike that without being partnered, you, uh, you know, may as well just go die alone in a ditch. Um, that is not our attitude and it shouldn't be yours either. Should be no one's attitude. That sounds so awful. machine there, Gary. Um, uh, this is Forrest from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so uh, I, I um, am in North Carolina, when uh, you want to divorce someone, you have to go through like a year-long separation thing because um, the law. And 
Uh, I'm about to finish up that uh, separation time, and both me and my ex have been seeing other people, and it's kind of weird, like, seeing my um, soon-to-be ex-wife in public. Um, do you have any, like, tips for that at all? Uh, I know you've been through a divorce before, and he, uh, I don't know. I figured you might have some insight for me, so, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, thanks for having this, the show, and, uh, uh, I, I hope to hear it in the future. Um, yeah. Bye. Yeah, so just, uh, Kind of a kind of a deceptively simple question um, that I think applies to to people outside of uh, of uh, people in this situation as well. Um, what do you do when you are getting back on the market and you have to uh, you live in a town where part of the reality of that is seeing your ex out with other people? Hmm. Yeah, this uh, is a tough one that I in some ways feel unqualified to answer because, as I just mentioned in the previous question, the answer to the previous question, I had a long-term breakup. And literally, like, four weeks after that happened, I moved across the country just to avoid situations like that. So That is actually our advice. Yeah, so uh, if moving across, across the, the country cousin. is yeah. an option, consider it. Yeah. Uh, for many of you, it may not be, understandably. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me, it would come down to how big of an impact does that have on me seeing my former partner with someone else? Is it the kind of impact where it's like my night is ruined? I am like visibly upset in public. Uh, you know, in which case I would probably just maybe stay home a little bit or, you know, go to some places that I don't expect my ex to be. Um, if it's the kind of thing that's sort of like discomfort or awkwardness, uh, you know, that's a different situation. But I do, you know, I think for me, this would be a time where I'd be like, well, you know, if it's a tough thing and I can avoid it, then I may avoid it. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes in really tough situations, it's okay to give yourself that that permission to to insulate yourself a little bit, protect yourself a yeah. little bit. I mean, you can, you can uh, want to get back out there. And uh, I understand, you know, depending on the size of the town, too, this can be easier or harder. You know, um, if it, if it is seriously traumatic, just stay at home for a little bit, but it sounds like, you know, you definitely, you want, you're both seeing other people you want to be out and, mm-hmm. and dating. Um, the, uh, so you, and you asked specifically about my divorce, my, my ex moved away, uh, moved back to Illinois. So I had a similar experience, but I have had exes who still live in town. Um, you know, so the, the two things I want to address is one kind of, kind of what you had said, Madeline, where like the, uh, uh, Avoiding activities you where you know you are likely to uh, to run into the other person. Like there are there are yearly events that I treasure that I don't go to now because I think it would be traumatic for one of my exes, and I don't have to do that. It's just I would probably feel uncomfortable too, and it's I've done the calculus and it's not worth it to to go to those. You know, at least yet. Um, so if it's a, if it's a place where you know. Um, like it is a concert or it is a comedy show or an event that you definitely think an ex will be at, maybe skip it. Maybe do something else with your date uh, that night. Um, two, we joked a lot about moving across the country. Um, don't You don't have to move across the, across the country, but I think that there is a real thing where a town can get kind of haunted hmm. uh, with past relationships. And it doesn't necessarily even just mean running into the person. It also means 
multiple, you know, it's like that naked eyes, uh, there's always something there to remind me kind of situation where, you know, you go to shops and restaurants and everything has kind of an unpleasant memory associated with it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, more and more, like if I, I don't think that it's an imperative to get out of that situation, but I think it's a real valid data point in terms of moving uh, or relocating, like uh, getting rid of that kind of haunted sense of an area, whether it's literally haunted by a flesh and blood person who's walking around or just haunted by that memory is not a terrible idea. Um, if you're able to do it again, you have, you have jobs and roots and stuff. This doesn't necessarily, I'm not necessarily speaking to the, the caller um, about this. I just mean in general, um, it can be one point in favor of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing I'm actually realizing this, this happened to me last night. I was in, in a small, to a smaller degree. I was on a date with someone new that I'm seeing and we went to this very niche event. Uh, and I saw two other people that I'd been on dates with. And I think in those circumstances, when you're out on a date, your partner's out on a date, like nobody probably in the group wants to engage in any substantive way, right? Like the person that you're with, doesn't necessarily want to see you engaging with your ex-partner. Neither does the person they're on a date with. You two probably don't necessarily want to engage. And so in those moments, you just practice kind of the smile and wave, you know. And yeah. I think you don't even, depending on the relationship with your new date, you know, you can say like, oh, that's my ex-wife. That's my ex-partner. Or you can just be like, oh, that's that's a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. Just the, like, you don't even, even if you see them, like, you don't have to engage, uh, you can yeah. just give the polite smile and nod and, and then turn back to whatever you were doing. And, and if it's, if it's, I also think this is a situation where it's not out of line. Um, if it is deeply uncomfortable to be open about it, like the person you're on a date with should probably know that you're getting divorced, mm-hmm. uh, at some point anyway. So if you go to a restaurant and your ex-wife is there and you feel uncomfortable with that and you don't want to dine in the same room, um, I think that there is an element of, of it being a good idea to disclose and say like, Hey, you know what? You know, I mentioned that like I'm getting this divorce. My ex-wife is right here. Can we go to a different restaurant? Uh, you know, and just not, don't turn it into a huge deal, but just, uh, I think that's something you can, you can ask somebody to be understanding about. Nobody comes fully formed out of an egg. Um, everybody has a past. Uh, and the, um, you know, I think that's something you can just be open about too. Yeah. I think in general, that's, that's a really excellent advice for all kinds of emotional emotionally Mm -hmm. challenging circumstances, right? Is like the best thing to do if you're trying to be in a relationship with someone is to be authentic. And that means Mm -hmm. being authentic about the things that are challenging. Uh, So yeah, yeah, you know, if someone came to me, if I was on a date with someone and they were like, you know, I just walked in and, and there's my ex, like, would you mind if we like move to this side of the room? Or even if we like went to another venue, like, if explained mm-hmm. well and clearly and the person like I could tell that the person was taking care of themselves uh, in a like healthy way, that would be yeah, no big deal at all. is that I have discovered through my current partnership that I have a lot of codependent tendencies. Um, And that's really frustrating because I pride myself on being like a really caring and supportive partner. And I don't want to lose that quality of love that I can give. 
Um, but obviously the ways that I, that I need to be someone's one and only and need to be able to solve all of their problems and kind of disappear into that, um, is unhealthy. And so I'm wondering if there is any advice to, uh, assert myself more, my own needs, become my own person, but not lose track of the really above and beyond caring person that I like to be within the context of a relationship. Anyway, really looking forward to the show. Uh, I hope to hear some advice soon. All right. Kind of a, uh, for our final question of the evening, uh, kind of a, uh, a big one here from, from Weeplord. Um, how do you navigate your self identity as a caring and loving person and not cross the boundary into codependence? Uh, and how do you kind of straddle or manage that line? Um. Yeah, this is this question hit me right in the feels because this is something that I have struggled with a lot. Um, and I feel like, caller, you have a really good grasp on some of the key issues, right? You know, you recognize that you are a caring person and that that's something that you value and that you want to continue to be. And you also recognize that that's gotten tied up into your identity. And I think that can be the tricky part is separating being caring in a situation for a specific person from caring as something that is part of your identity and that you need to be doing all of the time in order to feel like you're yourself or to feel like you are living up to some standard or meeting some need that you have or that your partners have. Um, yeah, I think... I have struggled with the same thing and the same particular side of codependence that the caller is talking about, the the part that wants to fix things and serve others and love others and be very caring and devoted, uh, sometimes to the point where I'm not able to meet my own needs or my own needs aren't getting met because I'm so focused on you know, being flexible to meet the needs of whoever I'm with uh, because I believe that's what it means to care for someone. But I think one of the hardest lessons I had to learn was that, like, caring for someone actually requires that you care for yourself as well. And that healthy relationships are a balance of everyone's needs getting met. Yeah. I, the um, So, yeah, the, the, the part that sticks out to that uh, or sticks out in that to me um, is uh, – so I, I try to think of um, – and possibly just because I'm, you know, a leftist scum – um, but think of a lot of things like one of the most beautiful kind of ideas to me is that idea of communism where it's like from each according to their their means and to each according to their needs. And I think that's kind of a a, a model that a relationship can operate a, under as well. Um, but it requires really strict defini definitions of both of those things. So, you know, uh, the caller, uh, if you've recognized that you um, that being empathetic and being caring is important to you. Um, and that you have a great capacity for it. Uh, that is a strength. You know, don't beat yourself up for that. That's a good thing about you. And I think that you like it about yourself as well. And I think that's worthwhile. You know, you should like that about yourself. That's a quality in a human. And the trick is, and the, the work of this is finding out, uh, when you pressing that button or, or pushing that aspect of yourself is to the detriment of your needs. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't actually, you know, there, I think there is an illusion. There's an idea that a relationship 
needs to be um, in every as opposed to being generally equitable, needs to actually be equitable on each individual matrix or each individual axis. Uh, and I think that's not true. I think that uh, it is not unusual for a relationship to have, uh, for people to kind of take roles according to their strengths. Um, you know, give a little bit because I am good at this and I like doing this and this is a big part of me and take a little bit because I'm weaker at this. I'm not as good at this, uh, et cetera. And, um, so this kind of this over emotion, this additional emotional labor that you're doing, uh, we've learned is okay. If you are, uh, those things that you need are being met by the other person and you're not giving more, you know, than you, than you have to, like, it is okay not to be 100% equal. Like we both do exactly equal emotional labor. We both do exactly equal this. We both do exactly equal this. You want to be generally equitable. Because people are different. People have different capacities and, and, and needs for those things. And I think that's okay. I think that gets demonized, um, a lot. Uh, so in kind of the, the hard thing about this as a question is it's, I don't think that anybody from outside can answer where that line is where you are not getting what you need. You know, so don't, it's not inherently a problem. Like you writing in tells me that there is a problem where there is something where, uh, the behavior has become unhealthy in some way, shape or form, but it's not inherently healthy to be, or inherently unhealthy to be that caring and very nurturing person and to be in a relationship where you provide a lot of that. I don't think that's a problem. Um, it is, this must be intersecting with you in some other way or some other sphere. Some need must be being unmet. And, that's what it what it reads like to me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, one other way that I will say, I think you're right that, uh, I think you're right about a lot of things that you just said, that, uh, you know, relationships don't have to be perfectly balanced along every factor in the matrix of what makes a good relationship. Uh, I think it's true as well that being caring is not inherently a bad thing. Uh, I think you're right that sometimes it's a bad thing because we're not getting our own needs met. But I will say that sometimes the kind of compulsive caring that can come from being codependent is a bad thing because it's not helpful to the person that you're trying yeah. to care for. Um, you know, one of the things that for me has helped unravel my codependence, which is like, to be totally transparent, a thing that I'm still working on is recognizing that sometimes my need for caring or helping people is coming from a compulsion inside me. So, you know, like I'm just looking for opportunities to be like helpful and caring mm -hmm. and, you know, because there's something within myself that I need to exercise and that's not necessarily helpful to the person that I'm with. And it's, you know, it may look like caring, but it is not genuine caring in the sense that it's not motivated out of like wanting to meet their needs or caring about them. It's like trying to fulfill a need of my own. Yeah. Uh, but I think for me, what has been really helpful is like just sitting down to figure out what I need, you know, like what is it that I need in a relationship and what, it, you know, and starting to get better at listening to my gut when something isn't working or a need isn't being met. I used to try to kind of paper over that with, well, if I just care more or I try harder, the relationship will get better. 
And the issue was never that I didn't care enough. The issue was that my needs weren't getting met. But I was trying to paper over that by like being so caring because that's how I thought that relationships worked. And that's what I thought the value was that I added to the relationship was that I was caring, I was devoted, I was all of these things. Um, and so I got caught into this cycle of like, well, that's my identity. That's who I am. That's why this person values me because I am this way. Um, and was never like stopping long enough to even listen to what I needed, which was the first step right. in being able to articulate. Yeah. What I needed. Well, listen what, to what you needed. And also you brought up a very good point, which is, um, make sure when you're doing something like that, you are doing it not for yourself, uh, and mm-hmm. for the other person. And that's, that's immensely tricky. Um, like there's two parts of that that are very tricky. Like one is, uh, having the kind of self knowledge or self honesty to know that or just communication, you know, because people will not, uh, it is true that people will not always say what they need, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so navigating that's difficult. And two though, if it is something where it is a behavior, when you say that it's not best for the other person, um, to me that like crosses a line or brings up like ideas of, uh, when your nurturing nature is actually to the detriment of a person. And that's something that, you know, and it's not something I'm in the habit of just kind of tapping out on a question. Uh, but I do not know. I have a very complicated and uh, frustrated relationship with the idea of tough love as a thing Mm -hmm. of just being like patronizing, I guess is what it feels like to me to be like, this would be better for you if I didn't do this thing you want me to do. So I'm not going to do it to improve you is not a posture uh, that I feel comfortable taking, uh, kind of ever. Mm. And I don't know that mm-hmm. I'm right about that. I just think that's gross. Uh, so I don't know if that's at work here too. Uh, but if it is, I don't know what to do about that. Like if you, if you, if you feel like the ways that you are being caring is hurting the person that you're with, uh, and that you need to callous up and, or be more distant in order to help them somehow, uh, that feels like if it were me, I would get out of a relationship and that's not my advice. That's just how I, my relationship with that feeling of like trying to be tough love or patronizing, it feels patronizing to me, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think when we talk about it from that tough love mindset of, you know, I feel like codependence is one of those things that's entered the pop psychology realm, right? Of like, you know, we throw around terms like codependent and enabler and tough love. And these are all things that have like entered the popular culture, but most of us don't really have a good understanding of, of what that means or how to practice it. And I feel like tough love is actually one of those things where we think that like being firm with someone is the way to help them. And in some ways, yes, like having firm boundaries is helpful for you and the person that you're engaging with. So you know, in an addiction context, right, we might talk about enabling or tough love as, you know, if someone wants to, like, get high in front of you or, like, use some of your joint money to buy drugs, you would say, like, I'm setting a boundary around that and, you know, like, I'm cutting you off financially. Right. Um, and, like, it's and pretty that, rare that you get... Well, I'm yeah. sorry, sorry to cut you off. So that makes, that feels very open and shut, right? Because it is mm-hmm. about something that's numerical. It's just a lot harder when it's about emotional energy, like that's, yeah. that makes that a much more complicated question than just, uh, no, you can't use our joint savings account to go gambling, you know, which, which feels <laughs> yeah. like that's, that's quantifiable. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's a little bit of a straw man, right? Cause it's like, oh, well clearly the choice, like the right choice is do not give this person money to go buy drugs or gamble or do something that will be harmful to both you and them. But let's say we were to have an example, like, uh, someone 
wants, like your partner is really stressed at work and wants to spend hours every day talking about their work situation. And I don't mean just like a normal venting. I mean like from 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. when they get home to midnight when you fall asleep, they want to talk about what their work situation is. And so you may need to set a boundary around that and say, listen, I love you. I want to be supportive of you, but I only have the energy and the ability to talk about the work situation for an hour tonight. You know, can we do something else that will help you relax, et cetera, et cetera. So oftentimes what I've found is that boundary setting can be about like, if there's a formula, it's like, I feel this way about you and what I need is this and like proposal about how we can maybe both get our needs met. Mm. And I think for me, my tendency when I was kind of, going through those codependent dynamics was to just be like, yes, whatever you want, whatever you need, I'm here. And then, you know, would be running myself into the ground with exhaustion and also not getting my needs met. Because if we're talking about what's going on with them from 6 p.m. until midnight, like there's no room for me to be having a bad day or a hard time or to have some of my emotional needs met. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's also, I would say, not helping, not necessarily helping the person that you're listening to for them to vent, you know, in this hypothetical example from 6 p.m., you know, to 12, to midnight about their work situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sometimes, like, when you set that boundary, that's how it can be helpful to them is in recognizing that, like, oh, I'm overutilizing my support resources. Like, something is happening that I need to adjust if my support resources aren't able to handle you know, what's going on in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if we quite got to the, the core of it, but I think we circled around some things that are related to it. And hopefully that is helpful. Um, it's, yeah. it's complicated. Like it is, that is a, that is a complicated issue. So that's yeah, a big one. There are lots of really great books about codependence though. Um, lots of classics of the literature. Uh, there's lots of also great books you may want to check out about attachment styles, uh, which is kind of related to codependence and how we engage with other people. Um, I don't know if this is helpful to everyone, but I often find it helpful when I'm facing a challenge to know that I'm not the only one. Uh, and codependence is actually a really common dynamic that we get into. Um, and it's also something that you can get out of with like work and intention and thought. Um, and it sounds like this caller is, is willing to do that and wants to do that. Mm -hmm. We definitely wish you luck. Yes. Uh, That's about all the time we have for this episode of heartbeat city. We will be back, uh, next time to answer your calls. I want to thank Madeline, uh, here for joining me. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you. It's been fun. Absolutely. And for everybody out there uh, in Heartbeat City, until next time, keep on feeling.
Heartbeat City is intended for advice only and is not responsible for the consequences of following any such advice. If you have questions for Heartbeat City, please call in at 502-69-HBEAT or write in at gary at duckfeed.tv. Heartbeat City is produced by Boxer Kwan and Bryce Salad. Thank you.